There's a handful of individuals that really intrigue me and I feel this compulsion to speak with and learn more from. And Karina Hayward is one of those individuals. She's teaching psychology online and incorporating the polyvagal theory into her classwork and her online therapy practice. She's not only the definition of a trauma nerd and polyvagal nerd, but she's also a super fan to put it mildly. I'm extremely happy to present to you my chat with Karina Hayward. We talk about some polyvagal implications in teaching online and in providing therapy online. We also discuss whether or not someone can fake it when it comes to cues of safety. My name is Justin Sinceri. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist and your fellow trauma nerd, helping you understand and apply the science of connection to daily life. Welcome to episode 56 of the Polyvagal Podcast. So I am Karina Hayward. Um, I am a licensed professional counselor in the state of Virginia. I'm also a counselor educator, um, and I've been teaching and training counselors since 2012. Licensed professional counselor, how is that different than LMFT? Um, so in the state of Virginia, I technically qualify for both licenses because my master's was in couples and family counseling. Um, but I just chose to stick with the LPC route because I teach in a KCREP accredited program and not a COAMPT accredited program. So we are training people to be counselors and it's called different things in different states. So licensed professional counselor, licensed mental health counselor, things like that. All right. What are you doing? Oh, and you do um, online counseling, right? Yes. This so is the other thing because I just started mine. So I'm like, oh, now someone else who's using simple practice. So that, that intrigues me as well. Yeah. So I so since I teach full time, my practice is very small. I just see three to five clients a week um, and I've let it. I started in January and I'm just letting it start to grow slowly and naturally, just kind of word of mouth, not doing a whole lot of advertising. So yes, this distance counseling practice has been really interesting. I have actually, when I started teaching, I stepped away from counseling. And so this is getting me back into counseling and in a very different way than I was doing before because I was doing face-to-face counseling and I was mostly working with couples and families. Oh, really? Yeah. So this is different. I'm doing individual counseling um, with only adults and from a distance. And so of course there's all sorts of things that you have to learn about how you come across and how you communicate via telehealth, um, and dodging those technology issues that seem to pop up quite frequently. I'm really getting stuck on, um, the the eye contact piece of it. It's, I don't know if I would have noticed it without the polyvagal stuff, but it's really like, um, while I'm talking and, and listening, I'm like, does the person think I'm making eye contact? Is it Mm-hmm. Am I like, is my eye close enough to the camera, you know, and it's, it's really, it's not throwing me off, but I'm very aware of what's not there anymore yes. versus being in person. I actually put, like, I have a little sticker on my camera to make myself look up there more often, <laughs> you know, as just as a reminder, but I also, I have a really big monitor and so that helps so I can push the video up tall enough to where it sort of looks like I'm yeah. looking in my camera. So it's just little things like that that you that you kind of just learn to do over time. But it's been interesting. Yeah, that's what I just did with you, actually. I made the screen really tiny and put it way at the top. Does it look like I'm looking at you in the eyes? Yes, actually. <laughs> Does it? Hey, all right. Yeah. All right, yeah. cool. All righty. All right, so tell me about the classroom and what you're doing as far as the polyvagal theory. This really, really interests me. Yeah, so... I guess to give context to all of this, I am teaching fully online now. I have taught for face-to-face programs um, in the past. However, 
how long have I been where I am now? I think I started December of 2019, nope, 2018. So December 2019 was my one year anniversary with full online teaching. So my students are all over the country um, and they come from lots of different backgrounds, come with different experiences. Many of them do have an undergraduate degree in psychology. So that's sort of helpful because they sort of know already about fight and flight and the autonomic nervous system. However, some of our students might have a degree in art or biology or something like that. So we take them from the very beginning of developing as a counselor all the way to the end. And our program really focuses on creating a generalist counselor and then helping them to know what areas they may specialize in uh, once they're out in the field. I probably heard about polyvagal theory about three or four years ago, but I didn't really take a deep dive into it until probably a year ago. I really started to get into Deb Dana stuff and really think about how can I learn about this. And then my intent was to learn about it, to teach it. So that way um, my students could know about it. But now that I'm practicing again, I'm eating all of this up. Like I got to get this to my clients. Um, so Deb Dana talks a lot about how polyvagal theory gives you a shared language and shared understanding with your clients. Yeah. And I really feel that it does that with me and my students too. Nice. So right now I'm teaching probably three classes on rotation. And one of those classes, since we are an online program, is called a residency. And it's uh, Res 1 is our sort of like we come together in person and learn basic skills course. Um, you have three weeks online and then week four, we all come together at the university um, and we have this sort of intensive training. We're together from eight to five pretty much every day that week. And um, then that, we That's come in back. person? Yes, it is. Nice. And so week five and then week 10, all the way to week 10 of the course are back online. So this is really where I like to take advantage of polyvagal theory and really planting those seeds because when they're learning basic skills, so this is basically um, a techniques course, techniques of counseling. And when you're learning those skills, you're learning about your nonverbal skills, you're learning about your body language, you're learning about your vocal tone as well as paraphrasing, summarizing, reflecting feelings, things like that. So I really like to bring in polyvagal theory in terms of the nonverbals, in terms of body language, and in terms of facial expressions. And yeah. so these students are in their second term of the program, and you know they're just starting to figure things out. And coming together for an online program can be really nerve-wracking and anxiety-producing. So I actually start teaching that week from a polyvagal perspective, applying it to them to help them to arrive in this space in a way that is safe and comfortable. I really get them our first few minutes together. We do some basic introductions and then we start thinking about where are we right now? What is our body telling us right now? When I really mean nervous system, but they don't have that language yet. So how's your breathing? Where are you holding tension? what part of your body stands out for you and why. And then so I start to model that stuff. And then as we move into skill review and skill practice, I'm able to really start talking about the polyvagal theory and how it applies to these skills. So I teach them 
pretty basic stuff. I teach them about the three states. Um, I teach them about the mixed states as well. Neuro, neuroception, the vagal break, the ladder. So then we have this common language and then nice. I can start to talk about how does that apply to the skills that you're learning? Are they taking it in pretty easily or is there any, do you see any um, recurring mental obstacles as far as learning it or owning it or using it? I think sometimes when you get into, so I learned this the first time that I tried to teach it at this point in their development, it doesn't make sense to get bogged down into really the heavy neuroscience pieces behind it. I think sometimes when you start talking about certain things, they just kind of gloss over and they um, get a little bit confused unless they're super nerdy about this stuff like I am. And then right, they're like, tell right. me more, tell me more. Right. Um, I would say, especially since you created those resources and those one pagers that they, they pretty much soak it up really easy. I use okay. those now. And um, before that, I was sort of using some of the worksheets that Deb Dana had combined with some things that I had created on my own. But I think the resources that you have are really awesome because they're simple nice. and they give us a common language quicker than what I was doing before. Oh, awesome. So. Super happy to hear that. And I, I definitely want to create more. Just It's just a time thing, but I, I have all these things planned out. Too many things planned out probably. Um, so it is, they're, they're taking it in pretty easily, common language. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I also found that when I do presentations, I always start with the autonomic nervous system and people sort of slow down right off the bat. So mm -hmm. I, I get through that as fast as I possibly can. <laughs> yes. Just like yes. just bare bones trying to get through that as fast as I possibly can. Yeah. And it's I also am really mindful that at this point in the program, they don't they haven't even studied the typical counseling theories yet. So it doesn't make right. sense to go super deep into things. It's just like, hey, here's this thing that I want you to know about. I'm going to plant some seeds. I'm also going to give you some resources if you want to dig in a little bit deeper. So I post a lot of information in our class that they can look at either now if they feel called to do that or you know, later in their program when they are like, huh, this theory thing that Dr. Hayward talked about, maybe, maybe I want to go back to that. Right on. Um, and are people messaging you and letting you know, hey, this is really affecting me on a personal level? Or have you, have you gotten that sense that it's not just about, hey, I'm learning something new, but also, oh, there's some like real eye-opening kind of moments for me on a personal level, which I think would affect someone as a therapist in the therapy room? Absolutely. So okay. the way that we start learning about it in this course is applying it to themselves. So um, how do I start to track the state that I'm in and what I'm doing with my face and my body language. And then we move into how do we begin to look at that for the client. So really in this class, when they're learning basic skills, it's actually more focused on them. And I have noticed that some of my students who really grasp the theory and really are interested in it, start to notice what I'm doing. And so I've had students point out um, so we, sometimes we give little presentations or talks outside of the classroom for all of the students. And I was actually talking about polyvagal theory to students who were outside of my class, but who were also there for the residency. And there was somebody who just kept pushing back about, um, I can't even remember. I think it was something to do with, well, you should try this instead of polyvagal theory. And I don't remember what the this was, but I was just kind of like, 
okay, well, that's one way to, to take in that information. But the person was really persistent and I could feel myself shifting. And so I put both, I had my legs crossed. I put both of my feet on the ground and I took a deep breath to, and let my exhale be a little bit longer than my inhale. And one of my students, when we came back to the classroom said, Dr. Hayward, I know that that woman was really pushing you and I saw what you did. And I was like, what are you talking about? I didn't even know I did it. Interesting. So she was like, I saw you put both of your feet on the ground and the breath that you took. And I was like, wow, well, I guess it's good that I'm doing those things. <laughs> yeah. Are, are, so, are, do you feel like your students are are learning this as if it's a tool or as if it's a, a modality or that I it's think, the science underneath those things? That's a good question. I think at this point they're seeing it more as a tool because yeah. I think when you first start, you're so eager to do things right yeah yeah that especially with these basic skills they feel like they're not doing anything they feel like reflecting feeling or head nods or whatever it is is really not enough to solve a problem and so i really have to move them out of problem solving mode and just how do you show up and be with your client and um, try to match their experience as much as possible that problem solving stuff that's just from their own probably anxiousness and, and eagerness probably to get started and get rolling and start seeing clients and whatnot, but, but yeah, it just stems from their own autonomic state. I would assume of being a little bit more down the ladder probably. Yes. Okay. And this whole experience brings them down the ladder. So I have to work really hard to try to bring them up the ladder because it's also not fair to try to teach them to learn these things when they're, when they could be way far down the ladder and not retain this information or perform in the way that they want to. Right on. How about in therapy? Do you mind if I go there? How how is this? Um, and when you do therapy or online therapy or whatever else, uh, actually, since you've learned that you've only done online therapy, is that right? Correct. Okay. So in online therapy, do you ha- are you doing the common language thing? Are you teaching them in session, or are you referring them kind of to learn about that out of session? Out of session. Um, what are you seeing, or what's different about how you're doing therapy when now that you know the polyvagal theory kind of stuff? So with um my clients, I'm going in deeper than I am with the group of students that I just described. So, um, I do, I don't get, I try not to get too bogged down into the heaviness of the neuroscience behind it all, but I do talk a little bit more about that than I do with this group of students that I just described. But what I really want to focus on with clients is tracking and looking for patterns. And so, I use a lot of Deb Dana's work in my practice of, you know, getting them to explore what is their home away from home, getting them to explore what moves them down the ladder, what moves them up the ladder. And I think too, in my practice, I'm a lot more mindful of what I'm doing and bringing to the session. And I am mindful of that in my classroom, but my students aren't my clients. So my responsibility isn't as strong if that makes sense yeah, yeah, yeah. to to co-regulate so it's in, in one modality your the co-regulation is obviously, obviously big but the other one is the teacher it's the teaching it's the information that's and of course the connection and all that stuff's important but ultimately it's about the information is that accurate to say yes anything? okay yes Have, with, yeah. with the clients so far are they meeting with you knowing that they're going to come from a polyvagal sort of informed place or is that new to them you know and then you're teaching it to them so most people well i have a small group of clients i would say okay. but i would say the clients that i am working with 
don't are not aware of polyvagal theory. Um, They have read on my website or in talking to other people who know me as a clinician, they've talked to them about nervous system regulation and uh, or read about it on my website. So they have some kind of basic like, oh, that sounds interesting to me, but I'm not quite sure what it is. And so we do have to talk a little bit about what it is actually and what that means. But I feel like the people who are showing up for me as clients are more interested in doing somatic focused things that are not traditional talk therapy. Or, you know, I, I have had a couple of people reach out to say, do you do uh, mindful, mindful CBT? And I'm like, no, that's not quite what I do in my practice. I do use other theories, but you know, polyvagal theory. I I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like once I learned it, it completely changed how I view everything. It did. Fundamentally, just the way I interact with people, the way I do therapy, the way I'm as a parent, um, walking through the store, like everything, everything fundamentally switched. It was, um, I don't know if filter is the right word, but it it definitely changed the way that I experience and view the world and how I see other people and noticing what state they're in. And yes. uh, in more of an objective kind of a way, and really actually also very much more of a curious, like walking through schools where there's all hundreds of nervous systems running around, you know what I mean? Between classes and after school and whatnot, it's, it's um, looking at it from that, this angle is a lot more interesting than just, oh, these darn kids won't get out of my way. <laughs> yes. I think too, um, it helps me to not take certain responses personally. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I talk a lot to my students about too, because they have these fears of, you know, what if I have a resistant client or what if I have um, an aggressive client or when I teach the group counseling course, there's a assignment that they write about um, challenging moments in group counseling. And so they have to choose which ones would be the toughest for them. And it's consistently a group member who attacks the leader in some right. way. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Not that it happened, but I remember that being a a huge concern in in schooling was, well, what if, what if, what if, yeah. Yes. And so I try to plug in a little bit of polyvagal theory there as well when I'm giving them feedback on their um, reflections related to that situation. And that helps me to take a step back, and I'm hoping it will help them to take a step back to realize they're not – the person, yes, they're they're probably saying mean things to you, but it's not a reflection on – you as a person or you as a counselor necessarily it's it could be where they are in terms of their state but we do have to take a step back and say is there something that i'm introducing that could be seen as a cue of danger uh is the activity that i proposed something that could trigger someone or is it a pattern for this person and we're noticing that they may be in more of a fight state so what can we do either way what can we do about that rather than thinking why is this person out to get me right yeah it might be a reflection of their state and that's it it doesn't have to be a reflection of reality it's not like the therapist actually is that way hopefully not but but the therapist if they're in their safe and social state they can hear those words and it won't be they won't take those in and don't you know allow those words to come in and like sit with it that makes sense like they won't Mm -hmm. feel it as much yeah if you're if you're in a good top of the ladder state you'll be able to hear those things and go through everything you just talked about of like this isn't about me you know exactly. what I mean? I have been responsible. I have done all the, you know, X, Y, Z, and Zs and whatever. Yes. Yeah. 
So I wish that when I was going through my master's program, I would have oh, known about this stuff because there were certainly times where I was like, oh my gosh, this client hates me, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking all these things internally and it's not that they hate me. They're not smiling or, or, um, being super engaged because they can't be, you know, it doesn't, yeah. it does it had nothing to do with me, but as totally. a young budding counselor, I was like, oh, they hate me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, w- I used to get. Um, probably a little frustrated with clients that were way more in the shutdown place. And I hate to say that, but but it was more about like, what am I doing wrong? Yes. Like, I can't connect with this person. I'm doing something wrong. And I, I still do put a, probably a lot of pressure on myself, but now I know it's not all on me. You know, and th- that there are um, significant things like way down the, in the nervousness, way down in the shutdown place mm-hmm. where that's just where they're at. And yep. rather than wrestling with that to really be with them, and help them just sort of gently come out of that. Yeah, all this stuff would have been fantastic having it as as a student. I love how you're doing the, it sounds like basic fundamental therapy skills mm-hmm. grounded in polyvagal theory. And that's really what what really interesting, I didn't, I didn't know that about that, uh, know that about you until you said it right now. But that fats, that, that's like seriously where I'm pulled. I've always been way more pulled toward the fundamental therapy skills. And way less toward the structured modalities. Mm-hmm. They just didn't speak to me. And when I would do trainings and whatnot, I'd be like, yeah, this, this is interesting and this and this, but I can't, I'm not going to sit there and do a manualized treatment. That's not how I work, period. It just doesn't fit. And when I've been put in those positions, I resent it. And I'm like, this, no, like, just let me do therapy. I know I can do this. Like, I don't need a manual. I hate this. So, yes. so the, the fundamental stuff has always, always, always pulled me. And then now with the polyvagal theory, like they just go hand in hand and I've always put it on myself to kind of master. And I don't think I've mastered these at all, but my goal is my head has been to like master the fundamental therapy skills. And if I could do that, then the modalities, but really the, the therapy relationship is the biggest thing, right? Yeah. And you're building that therapeutic relationship from these basic skills, not, right. not from CBT or structural family therapy or, you know, whatever your, yeah. your theory is, you're connecting with this person based on these basic skills. And that's why it's so important to stress that in the beginning of the program for my students, because they, they often say, so they're learning about informed consent and limits of, of confidentiality and whatnot at this point too. And they often say, I want you to know that this is a safe space and you can share anything that you want to share here. But I often have to tell them just because you call a place a safe space does not make it safe. And so how, how do you really build that safety? And you're building that through connecting with this person in a way that's genuine and offers that safety. So we take a look at all of that. We, I mean, I get them to practice in their phones with their cameras pointed towards them so they can take a look at their face because Ooh. I think we often don't look at our faces That's and know what they're doing. I like that. Um, because, you know, it's one thing for me to say, Ooh, in that moment you really furrowed your brow and that was a little scary or could be seen as a little scary. But when they actually see it, they're like, Oh, that is not what I thought I was communicating with my face. Yeah. And so it, there's a deeper connection there where they can be more mindful of what their face is doing. When, as a therapist, do you think there's value in faking it? Now, let me hold on. Now, now if you're more down the ladder, but you know how your face is supposed to look, is there value in 
flat out faking it or do you pause and say let me hold on let me let me self-regulate for a second or what like how do you handle i now i've done a little bit of both like there's times where i'm yeah. i'm noticing it and i'm like oh my face is pretty flat right now let me let me do something to express that i'm still with this person and i'm i'm okay so i've done that mm-hmm. but i've also done the moments where i'm like hold on let's, let's slow down just for a second let me kind of get grounded or let me catch up or whatever but I've also done what we talked about earlier where I change my posture. You know, I'll put my feet on the ground. I'll do something real quick to ground myself, which but not announce it. Right. But is there value, do you think, in... Because we know the right answers. We know what we're supposed to do. Right. I don't, know, I don't know if it comes across as genuine, but is there value in faking it, you think? So the first thought that I had when you asked that is some clients are really good at telling when you're faking it. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, right, right. So I was thinking about... Even my partner, like my partner, if I'm not feeling it, there's no way I'm going to be able to fake it, you know? So um, some people are just really good at reading those micro expressions in your face. Um, And sometimes I think I'm faking it well, and I'm not, (laughs) according to other people, right? So I think there's something about, particularly for me, my eyes that will communicate when I'm down the ladder, no matter what I try to do, no matter how much I try to crinkle, no, you know, yeah. no matter how much I try to smile right. genuinely. I think that for people who really know me, they will know that I'm faking it. And I would right. like to think that as I build a relationship with my clients, they would learn that as well. I think However, they know. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. That's what I, I mean. I, I was thinking maybe in the beginning when you're, if you're first starting, but I hope in the beginning you are an up the ladder enough to really build this genuine relationship. Of course. Yeah. But I I think, I think they know I keep interrupting. I'm sorry. Yes. No, I think they know too. The one thing I was going to say is that, um, when you start to teach them polyvagal theory, you can be a little bit more open about where you're at too, you know? So not to say that I would come into session super dysregulated, but you could say, you know, I had a sort of off morning and I really had to get myself together before our meeting. And, and here's what I did. Um, and it reminded me of you because blah, blah, blah. So how are you doing? And, you know, and so there's little moments where you can connect on, and see how they're regulating today before session or if they're not or yeah. and, and what we can do in this space to really to really bring them to a different place. So I, I like that because you, you connected it to the client, to the session. It wasn't just walking in the session and saying, oh man, I got a lot going on today. Yes. How are you? <laughs> but it was, oh, it's reminding me of you. I want to check in with where you, I, I like that a lot. It was, it was like a, rec- a recognition of where you're at and they're going to pick up on the stuff anyway. So just saying, hey, I am in a little bit more of a wonky place as Mercedes would say. Yes. But here I am, I thought of you. And I think that's a very good connection and safety cue right, right then and there. And what I tell my students too is um, there is this mentality of faking it till you make it, but I really want them to be genuine. So when I was going through my master's program, we were taught to be super neutral in our faces right. and in our body language. And I don't believe in that. And, and I never have. And, and so when you never have, ba- no, you I never mean, I, did the like flat affect neutral observer kind of therapist. I did it to pass my classes. (laughs) (laughs) But when I was actually in with clients, I would feel like I want to smile right now. I want to, I want to laugh with this person. Yeah. 
because I know that's not nervous laughter for them. That's genuine laughter for them. And it's weird that, you know, if I'm not smirking at least, you know, if I'm not bringing, you know, some kind of expression to my face. Um, and so I was lucky. So in our, in my master's program, we had doc students who were supervising us, um, in a clinical setting. And so, I was lucky to have a doc student supervisor who was like, yes, smile at your clients, laugh with them. And so that was sort of supported from the very beginning. But when you were in class with your professor, it was very much like remain neutral in all the things, neutral in your voice, neutral in your face, neutral in what the rest of your body is saying. And what I tell my students now is do what makes you comfortable because your clients are going to read you as comfortable or not. And they're going to know when you're putting on something that's not really for you. And so a lot of times students are like, can I sit like this? And I'm like, I don't know. How do you normally sit? Let's try it out. And we'll see, you know, what kind of messages your peers pick up on from the way that you're sitting rather than being like, you have to have a 45 degree angle lean in and whatever, you know, whatever else, um, traditionally has been trained. Your class sounds awesome. Thank you. I like the experiential things that you're doing with them. Because I think when teaching this stuff, it can be very, very dry. Even though it's interesting, Yeah. it can be super dry. And so when I do these, for Mercedes and I do these presentations at school or when I do them on my own outside of the school setting, the experiential piece of it is it seems really, really, really important. And mm-hmm. it seems like you're doing some real interesting things. Yeah, I love to... I think people learn by doing. And so I love to have them do things. Um, and this class is really built for that. Even when they're online, they are meeting in practice sessions with their peers. And so they're, we're watching them through those practice sessions. And it's, um, being, it's being monitored, like it's being watched as well? They record it and then nice. they watch it later. I did one of those um, in, in graduate school. It was so valuable. Yeah. It was such a valuable experience. So that you, you actually have them doing that. Are you, yes. are you kind of looking at it and talking about polyvagal stuff or is it more about basic skills or a combination of both or something so else? Once, once we have the in-person week, I get a little bit more focused on polyvagal stuff um, because they have the language for it. And so, you know, if they're having a day and I can kind of sort of read from their face that maybe something is off, I'll ask them, what state do you think you were in while you were recording this session and what brought you there? You know, because it could be personal things before they jumped on screen, or it could be that they're nervous today for with practicing this particular skill or something. So um, I, I try to clue them into what I see because their clients may see the same thing. Sounds super cool. Thanks. You're welcome. Um, I was thinking with, I want to go back real quick to the, the faking it part of it. We can fake a smile, right? We can fake eye crinkles maybe, but that doesn't fake like the fact that we're not tilting our head or that our posture is not relaxed. Like I'm wondering if there might be a disjointed sort of cue there for the client. Like I'm seeing the eye crinkles, but you're really tense. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if someone can fake it from head to toe simultaneously. I think it's a really good point. Yeah. Well, I was just kind of processing with you and like, it sounds or to me, I'm thinking like there's, you can bring your awareness to the crinkles, but you know, or if you're sitting super statuesque, mm-hmm. it's, it's probably going to be a, a mixed message and probably a cue of danger of like, I'm not understanding where this, this nervous system's at in front of me. And like, yeah, these clients, they, they, anybody picks up on these cues, maybe not consciously, but their body does, right? Like they feel that sense of danger or safety or 
Yeah, that's a really good point because if there's discrepancies, so let's say your foot is shaking while you're right. trying to do this fake smile. I wouldn't feel right, yeah. Right. Your client's going to be like, wait a second, are you nervous <laughs> or not? You know, what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't really made that connection, but it is difficult to fake that from head to toe. And energetically, you know, because also your vocal tone is going to yep. cue them in as well. And so all of those things, you can't really fake all of that at one time. I, I don't, think, I don't so. think. I don't think so. And if you can, that kind of scares me. True. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's a whole different conversation. It, it really is. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Karina, is there anything else that you have on your mind um, that you want to share with the, with the audience? I think as counselor educators and others who train clinicians, I think we need to be doing more of this stuff. And it really has, you know, I've kind of been thinking about, okay, polyvagal theory is great within my classroom. Is there a way that I could bring this out into my counselor ed community? And so I'm hoping that maybe I can do some presentations about how to apply it in different classrooms at some point, but I encourage people to think about that themselves. I'm still amazed at how many counselors and counselor educators are unaware of this theory, even though it's been around for quite some time now. And because Deb Dana has this the, this fabulous book about applying it to the, to therapy, and her worksheets are incredible. You know, I'm always just like, oh man, I I have to tell you all everything about this theory whenever I meet a practitioner that doesn't know about it. Yeah. So I would just say, let's try to bring more of this into our world. And I think it would really help us to see clients differently and to see diagnosis differently yeah. and to help prepare our our students for starting their career off with this mentality rather than having to learn it after being out there for X amount of years. Yeah, right. Oh, man, that'd be huge. Let, let's take this a little bit. One step further, if you can, and generalize this. So you're you're teaching people who are going to become counselors. Yes. For the th- teacher who's teaching third grade math. Mm. Now they're not going to teach polyvagal theory, but or third grade, you know, whatever the thing. I don't know, whatever you want to fill in the blank. Yes. What, as far as when it comes to teaching, how can one maybe be a safe teacher, or how can how can like a, is there, do you know of a way that a teacher can help the class become more aware of? their inner self and that maybe it's a huge question so pass on it if you like but anything pop in your mind as far as like on that level of being more grounded or building a relationship with students so that is a really big question the right. first thing that came to mind is learning about it and applying it to yourself first because if you're in a space where you are regulated then your students are going to read that and you may be the one regulated person in their life right so so true not that not that you have to be in that state all the time, it's impossible, but that you can bring that energy that may not be energy they're used to. And then from there, as curriculum allows, I don't really know what it's like to be a public school teacher. If there are ways that you can incorporate some of the things that we know bring people up the ladder. Um, so certain breathing activities or um, yeah. maybe even some of the fidget stuff that you yeah. have talked about you know, just different things that might not give them the theory behind it, but give them a way to know that they are, I don't know, control is kind of a big word, but that they can move themselves into different states. Like they can affect their own, the way they feel or, or how, how grounded they are. I like that a lot. I think there's yeah. a way of like teaching without teaching and uh, teachers 
well, especially with the public school that I'm working at, the system that I'm working at, and probably more generally, that there's like, they, they want to just know, like, what do I do? Tell me what to do. Tell me what to teach. And therapists that are coming in that are, you know, talking about this stuff, like, your theory is great, but what do I do with it? Yes. But so I think there's a lot of value in the teaching without teaching that you don't have to go and teach this stuff to your kids, but breathing skills, bringing them more in the present moment, being curious about music. Like there's a way to teach this stuff without actually explicitly teaching them about all the different states that might come later on. Yeah. And I think when you know that for yourself, it's easier for you to say, well, here's what I do. And so let's explore what might work for you because what I do might be a not might not be a, a cue of safety for you. It might be a cue of danger. And so just being curious about it, I think is what the benefit you get from being curious about it with yourself. You can then be curious about it with other people, if that makes sense. Polyvagal patrons, let me know what you thought of this episode and the members episode of the week in the Patreon comments. And dear listener, if you're as much of a polyvagal and trauma nerd as Karina and I are, you might be interested in joining the Polyvagal Patrons where I have a whole separate podcast for only five bucks a month and Karina just so happens to be one of those Polyvagal Patrons. Karina, thank you so much for joining me. I know you're listening to this and I really, really want you to know how much you're appreciated. I look forward to talking with you again.